0: The scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Please follow along on the screen, the bulletin, or your own Bible. Starting in verse 1, we read,
1: There was a certain man of Ramathayim Sufirim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Alkanah the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephra Theite. He had two wives.
0: The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children.
1: Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were the priests of the Lord on the day when Elkanah sacrificed he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her though that Lord had closed her womb.
0: And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat.
1: And Elkanah Her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons?
0: After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord.
1: As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you.
0: But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation.
1: Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him.
0: And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad.
1: They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her.
0: And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord.
1: The man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vows. But
0: Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever.
1: Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what you seem best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word.
0: So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, and Ephar of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord.
1: And he worshipped the Lord there.
0: And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly, let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hide themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed.
1: Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest.
0: This is the Word of God.
2: Great. Thank you, Bernard and Angeline, for reading that. Happy New Year. Year. Great. There are some people who are excited. Uh, That's really good. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to Watermark. uh, Just in addition to Simon's welcome, it's really exciting to see you in 2022. Uh, And as Oscar shared, we have no idea what this year has coming up. But actually, I'm excited because we're going to be moving in a, a new sermon series. Uh, in 1 Samuel, and uh, just really excited to see what God's going to do in us as a church over this year. So let me, before we start, let me just pray for us as we get going. Father, just want to thank you so much that there is none holy like you. Father, I pray that this year... Regardless of how our feelings are, regardless of what our desires and what our plans are, I pray that the boast of our hearts will be at the end of 2022. There is none holy like our God. That we'd say there is none besides you. There is no one like you. Lord, I pray that you would humble us this year so that we see that our honor and our glory comes from you and not from anyone else. We would see that even as we look through this book of Samuel, that When we trust you, that you are the one who is so faithful, you are the one who is so true, that we need to look nowhere else other than to you at this time. Lord, I pray for those of us who have had a really tough 2021. I pray, Lord, that you would just minister to us and give us courage and hope for 2022. I pray for those of us who had a great 2021. Lord, I pray that for 2022, Lord, we'd not trust in our own abilities or our own success, but we'd run to you knowing just how much we need you. Lord, I pray that this year we'd be a church which knows how to pray in all weathers and in all circumstances and to see and rejoice in your salvation. So Lord, we just give you this. Please open our hearts, open our ears to see you and to hear you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris, and uh, I am not quite that short. So um, let me just, All done. There we go. Great. I have a love-hate relationship with these things. Um, so great. Uh, just really excited to, uh, to be going through Samuel uh, in this series. And uh, if you've got your bulletin, please kind of have it open so that uh, we can kind of refer to the passage as we go. Um, but just to kind of set the scene a little bit, I don't know um, when you were a kid what you wanted to do when you, were going to, when you, would, grow, when you would grow up. Um, for me, one of the things I dreamed of, I dreamed of being um, a cricketer for England and a rock guitarist. Not at the same time, but um, that was my career progression that I was hoping to go for, and um, none of those have materialized, as you can tell. Um, but I bet whatever you would answer to that question, that none of you would answer that you wanted to be a mortuary beautician. Does anyone know what a mortuary beautician is? <laughs> Rhoda does. Okay, you can talk to Rhoda afterwards. Um, uh, but a mortuary beautician is, is uh, when someone has died, it's someone who puts the makeup on the corpse afterwards. And uh, I read in the SCMP of one person who described the work that she did for a relative of hers who just died. And here's what she said. She said, my aunt looked so gorgeous like never before. And I read that and I wondered what her aunt had looked like before she had died. Um, but, but in one sense, that, that, the picture there is actually the book of Samuel is actually brilliantly going to tell a narrative which cuts right to the heart to show us that it's possible to spend your entire life, it's possible to focus so much on the outside and making up the outside to look beautiful, when what's on the inside can actually be rotten and dying. And so the whole of Samuel's message can be summarized in from chapter 16 with this phrase, which is, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, and you're going to see this again and again, you're going to see it how Eli's sons uh, versus Samuel, you're going to see it with Saul versus David, you're going to see it with uh, David versus Goliath, and all the way through, you're going to see God actually looks beneath the surface, and he looks to see, are you trusting him, or are you seeking your own glory and your own honor for yourself? And that's where the book is, is all the time through multiple narratives, is going to show us this theme. And originally the book of Samuel was actually, it's so long, it's actually one book, one Samuel and two Samuel, actually there was only Samuel originally, Uh, but it was so long that they put it on two scrolls and it became two books. And it's the story of the rise and fall of two kings, Saul, King Saul, and King David, And actually, the the way that um, it's written, the the Hebrew Bible actually has Samuel coming straight after the book of uh, uh, Judges. Uh, The Greek order, which some of our our New Testament uh, Bible follows, um, has a different order. But the Hebrew Bible has Judges first, and then Samuel next, because do you know how the book of Judges ends? And Samuel, by the way, is the last judge of Israel. The book of Judges closes like this, in those days there was no king because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the backdrop to the whole book of Samuel. It's a dark time, everyone's doing what they want to do and even the religion was corrupt and you're going to find that the sons of Eli's who were the priests, like the pastors of the time, they were a nasty dodgy piece of work. So it's a dark time, and what we're going to look at in this first opening chapter or so is three things. We're going to see a family, a little glimmer of light that comes in this darkness with a family, and we're going to look at um, the shame of Hannah, because it's really is focusing on Hannah, this first part. The shame of Hannah, the response of Hannah, and then the boast of Hannah. Okay, So that's where we're, that's where we're going with this narrative. Because in this story, what you find is you find a husband called Elkanah, and he seems like a good guy. He's still following the Torah, which is the law of Moses, which called you to go up to the tabernacle, God's meeting place, which was at Shiloh, this place at the time, to offer what were called fellowship offerings as worship to God. Okay, so, and, and this time of fellowship offerings, you would sacrifice an animal, and then it was like a community barbecue. You'd eat the meat, uh, you'd kind of offer the, the sacrifice, you'd kill it, and then you'd share out the meat, and everyone would sit around and have an amazing party. It'd be like Christmas and New Year, all rolled into one. Deuteronomy 12 actually tells us, like, everyone was to rejoice before the Lord. It was a happy occasion, And so um, you have here this family who's going up, and there are two wives. There are two wives. One is called Hannah, and one is Penina. And if you notice, Hannah's name comes first uh, in chapter 2, which commentators think means she was the first wife married. And and so what happens is, as she's coming there, and uh, it's supposed to be this joy-filled time... Everyone else is laughing, but Hannah is weeping. She's the first wife, and yet the text then says, uh, in verse 2, it says, Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. Do you notice whose name comes first now? You see, Hannah's name now comes last because socially she's considered inferior because she can't conceive. She can't have a child. And in a family culture where your honor, your status, your whole identity for a woman was wrapped up with whether you could bear children and carry on the family name, this was absolutely devastating for her. There's no kind of medical support to, to help things along. And we know this in Hong Kong, you know, for some of you who've experienced the pain of not being able to conceive, and you may know people with that, it can be a really painful, hard situation. But in Jewish culture, it was was so huge for them. I mean, do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? And God comes to Abraham and says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to give you an amazing reward. And Abraham replies, what can you give me? I don't have a son. Like, There's nothing you can give me that is worth anything if I don't have a son. And that's the guy. Imagine what it was like for the woman in that time. For a woman to be unable to bear children was considered by many to be a curse from God. For maybe some secret sin that she had. And the text seems that it says twice, the Lord had shut her womb... And for Hannah, she has got every right to think, well, maybe God's against me in some way. What's going on? And if that wasn't bad enough, you then see different responses from people. But, I mean, Elkanah, though he loved Hannah, he didn't do what Isaac in the book of Genesis did when his wife was barren, Genesis 25 says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted, her, uh, granted his prayer. Elkanah doesn't do that. He's a kind of typical guy. Okay, He's, um, He takes the matters into his own hands. He tries to fix the situation and does what everyone else in the culture would do because Hannah's not getting children so he marries another wife, which was uh, Penina. And his little plan seems to work. Because Penina is just knocking out kids like nobody's business. And Hannah's there, looking on, left behind, and here's where it says. It says, uh, verse, five, uh, verse six, her rival, notice how it's phrased, her rival used to provoke Hannah grievously, with deep grief it caused her. Why? to irritate her. What a wonderful woman, right? Like, just to show that she is superior and she's better than her, year after year, at this celebration, she cruelly rejoices in Hannah's failure. Like, what good are you, Hannah? Like, why are you so useless? And Elkanah, that, that's kind of Penina's response. Pretty harsh, right? Elkanah's response, well, like most of us guys, um, he's actually got good intentions, okay? Ladies, if you are married or if you're not, most guys have some good intentions, okay? But he's totally clueless when it comes to this kind of deeper emotional issues that are going on right now. And so his response, in verse 8, when Hannah is weeping, you know, a lot of guys don't know what to do when women are crying. And so what he does, he goes, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Super empathetic, right? You want him as your counselor. And he, he goes, oh, and what he does, he, he says, I have another piece of steak, a double portion. That will make everything better. Isn't my love enough for you? And Hannah's kind of response, I can imagine, is, no, Elkana. you don't get it at all. My wife often says that to me, you know. <laughs> but I'm trying in my logical way to kind of fix the problem, come up with solutions, and um, it doesn't work. Okay, that's just a tip for you husbands. Um, and, and actually, as husband, let me just talk to the guys for a second, if you are a husband, Many of us, when we have marriage issues, many of us, when we have just issues with our family, we we turn into fix-it mode. We try and find the solution. And the worst thing for us is actually if it ever seems to work for a while. Because it blinds us to our actual incompetence. And this passage for husbands, there is a challenge here. Elkanah, at no point you see him praying. But actually... You can be a nice guy like like Alcana, but actually, the passage is going to call us, if we're going to lead our wives and lead our families well in 2022, do you know the number one thing that you need to be doing as a husband this year is praying for and with your wife? So how are we doing in that? Because, you know, it can be like, hey, the kids are going crazy. Okay, you go, hey, love, let's just pray about it together. Because that is what Christian leadership is going to look like. For us to be guys who initiate and lead by praying with and for our wives, not trying to fix the issues. That's an aside, but, but that's there. Because otherwise, what we'll be is we'll be like Elkanah, whose fixing leads to Hannah being trampled on and crushed. And this doesn't happen just once. Do you notice what It says, Verse 7, it says, it went on year by year. Man, that's crushing, isn't it? There's just no way out of this oppression and this sense that um, she doesn't know what's going And then to make whilers worse, okay, if that's not bad enough, society shames you, it's not bad enough to feel like your your rival wife is shaming you, your husband doesn't get you. And then... It's even worse because it feels like church is judging you as well. Because she goes to pray, and Eli, the high priest, who is the most respected religious leader of the time, he sees her praying silently. And he knows what the culture is like, everyone's just had a big party, and so... In her most vulnerable state, he comes over to her and identifies her as a worthless, good-for-nothing drunk. He says, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Do you know what he's saying? He's basically telling her, we don't want your type around here. Get out. Man, cursed by God, she feels. Rejected, misunderstood, judged, shamed, even by the religious people around you. How do you respond when you're in that place? You know, I heard, I heard one pastor say this, and I think it's true. Um, he said, when people are mildly distressed, they often pray. You know, you've got a job interview or something, you're feeling a bit stressed, you might pray about it. When you're moderately distressed, you sometimes pray. But when people are deeply distressed, they rarely pray we rarely pray. When you're really hurt or when you really feel helpless, we often fail to pray. But these moments are the defining moments of our lives. They are the crossroads of our hearts because how we respond will shape the entire trajectory of your heart and life when you are in those moments. That is where Hannah is in the moment of the deepest pit of shame, hurt, judged, misunderstood, offended in so many ways What's her response? And I, I love this because um, what you discover as you look through uh, and verse nine, you see that Hannah, she's a victim, right? But she doesn't have a victim mentality. She's a fighter. She has, she's a woman of backbone and steel in her. In the midst of her helplessness, she doesn't just stay bitter. She doesn't just stay kind of comparing, going, it's not fair. She doesn't kind of withdraw. She doesn't just vent to her friends. She doesn't go, I'm going to show Penina. Verse 9, it says, after they'd eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. I love that. Some of us need to learn how to rise because some of us have stayed living in the court of human opinion for too long, living under the offense of other people, maybe hurtful comments, maybe even nurse jealousy, or just comparison at work or in other places. You stay bitter at circumstances, and we're coming into 2022, and God says there's a new chance because Hannah, in that place, she rose. She gets up out of the place of shame She goes to the tent of God's presence to pray. And here's how she prays. Verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. That's not how many Christians pray. Many of us as Christians, we kind of pray superficial prayers. She pours out her entire soul to God. Some of us think you can't tell God if you're angry, if you're hurting or you're in pain because, you know, Christians, you're supposed to be full of joy all the time and, you know, he might get a bit annoyed. That's actually the enemy because, you know, shame always wants to isolate you from others but also from God in the deepest wounds of your heart. And that just leaves you with yourself. But actually, the place of helplessness is the place of prayer, because it is a great place to be. Author Oli Hallersby said in his book on prayer, here's what he said. He said, only he who is helpless can pray. Now listen to this, this is really insightful. Only he who is helpless can pray. Your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart To the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. What does he mean? He's saying that prayer that is not from a place where you know your absolute helplessness and need of God is like asking God just to put the icing on the cake, but we'll make the cake ourselves. It's like we'll stay in control of our lives, you just kind of fix a few things I can't fix. But helplessness invites God into your uncertainty, into your distress, into your weakness, into where you feel like, I don't know how to do this. And that's where he's going to get glory by showing his power in your weakness as he brings his answer. And you know, it can help when you unload your feelings to your friends or to your spouse, but I fear that many of us substitute sharing with friends with actually talking to God about our deepest issues, even about what you're thinking for uh, 2022. And so let me encourage us as a church, if your friend unloads to you, listen to them really well. Don't be like Elkanah. Be empathetic, listen to them, but at the end say, hey, can we give this to God now? Because his shoulders are way bigger than mine and he can handle this. You see, Hannah prays and runs to God in a helplessness. But the second thing that she does, and this is also super challenging, second thing she does, she surrenders to God her greatest desire. Here's what it says, um, her prayer, verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, the God of all the armies, all the heavenlies, the most powerful God, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant and give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. This is really remarkable. If I was to say to you, What do you want right now more than anything else? Like, Just think for a minute. What do you want more than anything else? And if you were going to pray for that, what would you say? You know, better job, promotion, whatever it is. We might say, hey, God, give me this. I'm praying for this. God, help me out of this situation, whatever. But if what you then said was, and I'm willing to surrender completely the answer to you, it's totally in your hands, Take it, it's your will. I give it back to you. Just like, you remember, Abraham offered his most precious son on the altar... And just like Hannah now makes a vow and offers the son that she craves more than anything else in the whole world as a, a Nazarite, which means somebody who is fully devoted to God, set apart from Him, to go and live in the, uh, in the, the tabernacle, to, to be there away from home in Shiloh, she says, I, I give him away back to you. It's actually insane. Because this son could be the answer to every one of Penina's attacks, right? If you go, okay, yeah, just look at my son. This son could remove all her shame in the village. This son could give her a new status, identity, and honor. And yet she says, I am willing, I, I, I desperately want that, but I'm willing to give him back to you in worship. Do you see what he's saying? She's saying, she's saying, I want this badly, but actually I want... To know, God, that you care for me, that you remember me, and that I, as your servant, want you to be honored more than I just want to get my personal comfort, my situation sorted out. I want you to be my treasure, and only your love can cover my shame. More than Elkanah's come, more than even having this son can cover my shame. You are the source of it all. That's what she's saying. I'm your servant. It's not about me. It's actually about you. That's a really powerful prayer. Because you see, everyone else, Eli, Elkanah, everybody else, they're offering small animal sacrifices to God on the altar as worship. And everyone's going, oh, you guys are amazing. But actually, they look and judge Hannah as cursed by God. But Hannah is offering the most precious and the greatest desire of her soul to God as worship. Because she knows that her God is faithful and her God is good. And God sees her heart. It's beautiful. I mean, what do you want this year? What do you want? What are you praying for? How willing are you to say, God, I surrender that to you. And I trust you with the outcome. More than this job, more than this relationship. Because I know that you are the place which will cover my shame. You are the place which gives me honor. You are the place which will satisfy me. You are my treasure. Because when we trust God in that kind of place, do you see what happens in verse 18? Verse 18 says, Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Suddenly, she found peace and joy again. You know, some of us can pray and we get up from prayer miserable still. You know, still burdened, going, well, that was no use. Because we've not reached the place of surrender. We've not reached the place of finding God as our treasure. Do you know, the the Puritans, they used to say, pray until you pray. I love that. Pray until you pray. That means keep coming back to the presence of God until you walk away with a peace knowing God has got this and it's in his hands and I'm going to trust him with this. Keep praying until you get to that place. And the amazing thing is God answers Hannah, gives her a son who's called Samuel, who's going to become the kingmaker as we're going to go on in the story. And the amazing thing is Hannah doesn't go back on a promise. Even when she experiences the sweetness of the son and that maternal bond that she has, man, that makes it hard to go, keep going with your promise, doesn't it? But even at that point, she's still going, God, I want you to be my treasure. And she takes him to live at Shiloh to worship God there. It's a super challenging response. After the shame that she's experienced. Of finding the, the the response that she goes through of of running to God in prayer, surrendering, and finding God's grace in the midst of it, and the final thing that we see is not the shame, not the response, but the boast of Hannah. How are we doing? Good. Annabelle's good. I'm going to just look very briefly. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Um, this is just, uh, there is time. we could do three sermons on this, but I'm going to go really briefly. 2, verse 1 says that this is actually a prayer of Hannah. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. But do you notice something? If you look in your bulletin, it's not addressed to God at all. It's actually a testimony of answered prayer. For us as readers to make note of. And actually in this testimony are the themes of the whole book. Of how God raises uh, the, the lowly and, and uh, brings down the proud. But, but actually this testimony is a boast. He says that there is none holy like the Lord. That means there's God doesn't work the way we work. His operating system isn't the way that we operate. He works in our weakness to show his power, as Paul says. His glory is shown in taking the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And going into 2022 for each one of us, we have a choice. This is where Hannah's going. We have a choice of whether we want to live in the court of human opinion or whether we want to live in the court of God's opinion. Because human opinion is a court that looks at the outward appearance. And it wants to associate in some way with what seems successful, which, which seems powerful, secure, respectable, whatever it is. You know, if you say, hey, I work at Google, or I went to Harvard, or even I went to Hong Kong U, everyone, actually, that's honor. People go, oh, really? That's honor because you're associated with someone who's got respect, or someone who's got cred, street cred, right? But actually, you've got to, keep that up, because actually if you have been to Hong Kong, many of you feel like, well, no, I'm not that honourable yet. And so that's what keeps us continually striving and striving for more. It's the relentless chase in Hong Kong, because the court of human opinion, the court of Penina's judgment, and even the court of Eli's judgment, initial judgment, is a fickle court. It boasts of your position and it looks down on other people who haven't made it. But you know, one moment you're praised and then the next moment you're forgotten. And notice in the passage it says here, it says verse 3, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. And then he's going to go, the mighty, the full, the one with many children, the exalted one, He then brackets them actually in the wicked, and he says, those people that everyone looks at and says, wow, you're so impressive, he says, they will be the broken, the hungry, the forlorn, those who hire themselves out for bread, those who are cut off in darkness. What he's saying is, trusting in yourself and just the outward appearance looks like glitter, but in the light of God's judgment, and he is the ultimate judge, The glitter soon falls on the carpet and gets swept away. And all that impresses you, all that glitters is not gold. That's the title of our series. But if you live in the court of God's opinion, it's a court of joy. Sometimes pain, but a court of joy, which looks at the heart which wants to associate itself more with God than what the world thinks. It's a court whose boast is in the hope of God himself. And Hannah says in verse 1, My heart exalts in, not myself, but in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. You see, this joy is actually the joy for where he goes through. It's the feeble, it's the hungry, it's the barren, it's the poor, it's the needy. It's those who know how much they need God. And it's those who are faithfully wanting to go to him, the faithful ones, looking to God. Those people in that place, they're the ones who will be, and if you move on to the next slide, they will have strength. They will cease to hunger. They will sit with princes. They will inherit honor, which is not just here one day and taken away the next. They are the one who are guarded and protected in 2022. It's a court for those who run to God in their helplessness, knowing their need, and knowing he's the one who comes through every single time. And the thing is this. is a challenge. You cannot live for both courts. You cannot live for the court of human opinion and the court of God's opinion. You've got to choose one of them. Because you see, the gospel says this. The one who has the name above all names, the most honored one, Jesus Christ, is the one who had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. We've looked at Christmas, how he was born in shame, the lowest of the low, to a young peasant girl called Mary, who actually sings a song in Luke chapter 1, which is just like Hannah, where she exalts she she proclaims how God exalts the humble and brings down the proud. And this King, Jesus, he grows up and he seems to be successful for a little while. He attracts the crowds. But John says he doesn't entrust himself to them because he knows what's in a man. He knows how fickle the court of human opinion is and he's totally right because even as he's going around doing good, the religious leaders turn on him, judge him, call him a follower of Satan, condemn him and he gets betrayed, rejected by all, alone. And then in Gethsemane, at the point of his greatest helplessness. Do you know what he does? He goes, let me just fix this. Let me call down a legions of angels just to come and just show you who's boss here. No, he doesn't. He prays. It's an agonizing prayer of distress. It's not kind of nice British kind of polite prayer. And he says, God, if there's another way out of this... I don't want to die. I don't want to be separated from you. Please give me another way. You know, he's totally real. We don't expect that of Jesus, do we? But that's what he calls us to. And then he surrenders his greatest desire and says, but it's not my will, but it's yours. I want you more than I want me. And on the cross, the ultimate shame and humiliation Jesus is treated as cursed by God, mocked and scorned by others in a worse way than Hannah ever experienced. And he prays again. And he says, into your hands, God, I commit my spirit. And then he dies. And then he rises again in power. And the place of greatest weakness, the place of greatest shame, the place of greatest dishonor in everybody's eyes on the human court becomes the place of the greatest glory and the greatest honor and the greatest vindication from the court of heaven. And if you're a Christian today, this is our king, this is the one we're following. And so in 2022, the question is who do you want to be associated with most? Who will you boast in? Because when Jesus is your boast, our helplessness, our weakness, whatever struggles we go through or don't go through, becomes a chance, an opportunity to run to Him and to find and revel and delight in Him. Do you know, have you ever tried sharing the gospel? And it just felt weird and just super awkward. And people just kind of went, rolled their eyes, or maybe made some sarcastic comment at you. And you just went away going, I never want to do that again. Anyone? Anyone done that? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> do you know what's happening at that moment? I'm allowing the court of human opinion to judge me. But what if actually at that point I actually said, I came in prayer and remembered that actually my honor is from associating with Jesus, not from how well I performed. And we go, we remember he says, you're my dearly loved son, you're my dearly loved daughter, I'm proud of you, I am pleased with you. And at that moment, if his voice counts more than other people's voice to you, You can go, wow, I understand just a little bit, just a tiny fraction of what Jesus went through, the shame he experienced. And here's an honor for me to be associated with him. And you can rise with joy and peace and go out again. That's freedom, right? That's freedom. Let me close with this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. He was really good at sitting. You know, for an egg to sit on a wall is pretty impressive. And then Humpty had a fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Do you know what a tragedy it would have been if they'd managed to fix him? Or even worse, if he'd managed to fix himself. Because he'd have gone, hey, I'm a pretty good egg fixer. And he'd have boasted in himself. Maybe just put his shell back together. Everyone else would have gone, wow, so impressive. But inside, he would have been empty. But if, and the nursery rhyme doesn't tell us this, I'm using a bit of imagination here, he, like Hannah, had prayed. At that moment of his breaking on the floor, the mess that was there, I don't know what would have happened. But maybe God would have made him into an omelette or something. That's just speculation, guys. Just don't quote me on that. But it would have been for the delight of many people. And when they looked at him, they wouldn't have praised him. They would have praised the chef who had actually made one mess of a life and turned it into something of beauty and honor and glory. I am so challenged by this passage personally, if I can be honest. You know, we, this year for us, we're going through transition. We're going to be moving to pastoring a church in the UK, in Manchester. And it's a church that, you know, they've said to me, hey, we want to bring change. We want uh, to be, draw new people in. Some of, A lot of congregation are much older than myself. And as I look into the year, my prayer is kind of, God, I, I pray that things will grow. I pray that you would just kind of bring new people. You'd save people. That you'd create a success out of all of this. And I feel completely inadequate to do so. I don't know what's coming up. And my temptation is to try and strategize and plan and try and go, okay, here's all the things I've got to do, okay, we've got to make sure we've got to do this, get to do that, and try and get all my ducks in a row. But you know the problem is, and this is where God has challenged me. He's challenged me to pray, not just to kind of go ahead and try and plan. But he's also challenged me: will I surrender? Even my desire for things to work really well. Will I surrender even the desire that people think, oh, you're doing a good job? Because, you know, that is actually really scary because I fear failure. But at that moment, God has just been saying to me, it doesn't matter whether other people get excited or disappointed. That's not the issue. The issue is, do you, will you take joy in me? And just pleasing me. And be like Hannah. Because when I'm at that point, I know, because I've seen it so many times, that God is faithful. God is faithful. And when I do that, there is a peace where I don't have to fix everything. And that takes the stress way off. So 2021, some of us have felt very broken. Some of you, it's just been a hard time, a hard year. And you felt hopeless. Some of you have just been waiting for God's answer. I believe this year God actually wants to draw you uh, and to bring you to a place where at the end of this year you will have a testimony, a boast like like Hannah does. That you have seen how he has exalted and honoured you in a way that you couldn't by yourself. He's going to bring restoration into your life. I really believe that for some of you. But he calls you just keep running back to him in prayer. Some of us, actually, you want to be strong and successful this year. My prayer for you is actually God breaks you. Not because I'm being cruel. But actually because you need to know like Humpty Dumpty and like Hannah that when we learn to boast in Jesus and not in ourselves, that's a place of greater freedom than when everything goes right for you. And that's a place... Where this year, in our church, my prayer is that maybe people look at us and we go, hey, you did really well, or maybe you didn't do really well. I don't know. But actually, my prayer is, in one sense, that's not the key thing for us. The key thing for us is that we want to boast in Jesus. And we want him to be honored more than we even want the best desires of our own hearts. And we're willing to surrender this year to him and watch and see what he does with it and be surprised let's pray maybe you just need to think how you are looking at this next year how you're looking at your your desires maybe you just need to respond to him some of you need to respond in just thanks and praise because actually God has been so good to you and you have seen his faithfulness. Some of us need to respond in repentance because we really are trying to just fix things and it's become stressful in so many ways, even as Oscar shared, or we've been so centred on ourselves and our problems that we fail to see God in the midst of it. And some of us need to just walk by faith this year, surrendering, And trusting him that whatever's going on, whether it's an amazing year or whether it's a tough year, he's got us and he's going to bring us through. So Father, I just pray that as a church, our greatest boast would not be in ourselves, but in how that you take and lift the needy out of the ash heap to make them sit with princes and give us an inheritance of honour I pray that that would become so precious to us, that we don't have to live for the honor that comes from other people around us, that we have such security in you that we can walk in a freedom this year with a joy so that actually if if you provide us with abundant blessings, it's not going to inflate our egos. Or if you take away certain things, that's not going to deflate us completely. But we learn how to run to you in all and every situation and find joy in the King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen.